0: So in chapter 12, Paul is responding to a question that has been sent him from the church all about spiritual gifts, and so he spends the next three chapters answering this question. And the presenting problem in the church there is division, like and it's division here over the use and exercise of spiritual gifts, and the misuse of a a particular gift, which is the gift of tongues. And so he spends three chapters dealing with this. And so what I'm going to do this morning is let, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell it to you again as we work through the passage. In this chapter, what you'll see is this. Knowing your gifts pleases God. Knowing your gifts pleases God. Knowing the spiritual gifts that you have been given by the Holy Spirit pleases God. And using your gifts to serve others benefits everyone in the body of Christ. So using your gifts to serve others benefits everyone. Then third, being satisfied with your gifts, the gifts you have been given by God, being satisfied with your gifts honors the giver of those gifts. And then honoring uh, the gifts of others in the church builds up the body of Christ. And so that's where we're going to be going in this chapter as we work through the whole chapter. So beginning in verse 1, Paul writes this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so Paul wants us to understand, like, this issue... So before we get too far into the passage, like what exactly is a spiritual gift? When we talk about that, you know, you come to church, maybe you come from an unchurched background, so this is new to you, or maybe you come from a church background where the gifts were like really highly prioritized, maybe a charismatic background, so it means something different than you, than somebody who's coming from a Presbyterian or a Baptist background. Maybe if you're a former Baptist, you think there's only one spiritual gift, it's preaching, you know? Uh, I don't know, but uh, whatever background you're coming from, we're going to look at what the Bible says here about spiritual gifts. And Dr. Sam Storms offers what I believe is a compelling and clearly biblical definition of what a spiritual gift is. He writes, spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity to in order to serve other believers to the glory of God. And so Dr. Storm says, listen, when you have a spiritual gift, that's something that God has granted you, something that God has given you so that you can serve others, but... You know, it's not simply a talent. It's not simply necessarily like some kind of thing you're good at. It's not playing guitar or singing. Those are important, and you can use those for the glory of God. But this is something that when you use it, you're going beyond you. Like this is the power of God evident in your life. Now, if you've been a believer for more than a couple of years, you probably know that there are a lot of opinions about spiritual gifts. And there is a lot of division caused by discussion and debate over spiritual gifts. Like there's uh, what I would call the obsessive response. Like somebody who hears about spiritual gifts for the first time and they're so psyched, like they are all in with no discernment whatsoever. It's like, how many gifts are there? I want all of them. Are there new ones? Like, are they, are they like coming online all the time? I want all the gifts, as many as God can give. And they kind of get obsessed and wrapped up in having gifts and utilizing gifts and talking about gifts. And then there's what I would call the, uh, the sinful, the clearly sinful response, which is pride and judgment. Like, I have these gifts. You don't have these gifts. You have lesser gifts. And so I sit in judgment on yours as I exalt my own. And then a third response is embarrassment, the embarrassment response. Like this is caused by somebody who either fears like letting go control of their life and they don't know what the spirit's going to do if he comes in with power or they shrink back because they're fearful or ashamed or embarrassed because their gift isn't like enough. Like everybody else has more dramatic and amazing gifts than them. All of these are what I would call Corinthian responses. Like this is what's going on in this passage. Like it's the obsessive response. It's the sinful response. It's the embarrassed response to spiritual gifts. But here is what I would like to call the biblical response. Here's the biblical response to any talk about spiritual gifts. I want everything... That God has for me. I want everything that God has for me. I will trust him to give me what he wants me to have and keep from me what he doesn't want me to have, but I want everything that God has for me. Isn't that how we should think? Like, isn't that how we should feel, how we should pray? I mean, after all, as, as Sam Storms continues in this definition... He says that spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us. Energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Church, don't you want that? Like, don't you want Him in your life to that extent? He goes on to say, spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit Himself going public among His people. Guys, those are spiritual gifts. And so back to Paul, Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. And so Paul tells them, listen, church, I don't want you to be clueless about this. And then he goes on to tell them about something that he knows that they're not clueless about which is this, like there was a time when you were pagans, right? Like you remember when you didn't believe. Like there was a time when you didn't know Jesus and you were pagans and you were led astray to idols, which Paul says were basically demons earlier in First Corinthians. These idols have a force behind them, a power behind them, a presence around them, and that's a demonic presence. And so Paul is basically saying, hey guys, remember back then? You knew something about uh, spiritual experiences, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Like you knew what it was like to go into the pagan temple and offer a sac- sacrifice and get caught up in the moment and get caught up in the excitement, the ecstatic experience and the demonic presence. Therefore, <laughs> you should clearly know the difference the Holy Spirit makes and how He works. And then he tells us how that is. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Like Paul says, listen, no, nobody, like I know you're all about spiritual gifts and you're all about the experience and you're all caught up in that and it's a big deal for you. But hey guys, test every spirit to make sure the spirit you're listening to is the Holy Spirit. Like if a person curses Jesus, they are not speaking by the Holy Spirit, even if they appear to have great power. They may have every spiritual gift in the world, but if they're saying Jesus is accursed, that's not of God. And if a person declares Jesus Christ is Lord, they are speaking by the Holy Spirit, even if they don't appear to have great power. Like whatever their spiritual gift is, if you have in your mind a mental list of spiritual uh, gifts, whatever one you would put as the least significant, if this person has that gift, And yet they can say Jesus is Lord from the depth of their heart and declare that boldly. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. So don't get cocky. Like Remember, Paul is speaking to a church that is divided. He's speaking to a church that kind of just like us today, that has this incredible ability to be arrogant, to be prideful about just about anything. Like This is a church that can brag about the worst stuff. Things that you shouldn't be proud of, they were proud of. They were prideful about their knowledge. They were prideful about their freedoms in Christ. They were prideful about taking other Christians to court and suing them. They were prideful about having like openly incestuous couples in the church during worship. And they thought that was a badge of honor. They were prideful about communion. They were prideful about their sin. And now you get to this section and they actually want to one-up each other about their spiritual gifts as if their spiritual gifts somehow made them superior to or more spiritual than other believers in the very same church. Like I read this and I think, hey guys, we're all Corinthians, aren't we? We're just like this. Like I have this incredible ability to be prideful about just stupid things. Prideful about anything, like anything that I'm good at, that becomes the measure of all things. That's how we are. Like anything that you're good at can become a soapbox that you stand on as you preach to others or it becomes a club that you smack people over the head with. Like years ago in uh, the last church I served, there were a group of men who had gone through uh, Financial Peace University. And, and God had really blessed them through that. They had gotten out of debt. They had made wise choices. It had changed their life. But after that, everybody who drove into our parking lot in a new vehicle, they would sit in judgment on, like, look at this fool. Lost 20% of its value when you took it off the showroom floor. Like, this is crazy. Like, that became their soapbox that they preached at everybody else in the club that they hit him with. Guys were all Corinthians. And so Paul wants his readers here to understand something. It would be easy for them to think of these miraculous gifts like healings and miracles and tongues as the measure, as the most dramatic evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. But he wants them to understand that the most powerful thing that the Spirit can do in the life of a believer is to bring them to a point of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Like Paul wants them to understand that the real test of whether the Spirit is working in your life and in the life of the church is whether Jesus is being exalted because that's what the Spirit desires greater than anything else. I mean, do you desire that? Like, do you want to see the, the Spirit of God come in power right now on our church? Like, do you want to see the power of the Spirit, like, right now? this morning, during this sermon, in your own life. If you want that, just pause for a moment, and in the quietness of your heart, declare your absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Lord Jesus, whatever, whatever you want me to do, My answer is yes, wherever you want me to go, whoever you want me to speak with, whatever you want of my life, my answer is yes. Guys, in a world where there are untold numbers of options, in a world that is so opposed to the things of Christ, for you to confess that from your heart of hearts, where do you think that comes from? Like, that is the absolute God power of the Spirit working in you to bring you to a point of humble yieldedness to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord, was a radical statement in the first century. Like, to say that the Lord, Yahweh, the maker of all things, the ruler of all things, that is Jesus was a radical statement in the first century. It was a declaration of absolute allegiance and it still is that way today. Like as the world goes crazy around us, as right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right, will you declare in your heart of hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord? At your school in your family, at your place of work, with your best friends? Will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live your wife life in such a way that declares to everyone around you, Jesus Christ is Lord? If you'll do that, guys, understand, that's because the Spirit lives in you. That's the power of the Spirit. That's the greatest evidence and most dramatic power that the Spirit has to offer. Paul continues, verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Like, Did you catch that? One Spirit, one Lord, one God over all. Like the Trinity is at work in gifting the church. The Trinity is a picture of diversity within unity, and we'll come back to that in a moment when he starts talking about the gifting of the churches. But these are gifts. They're not wages. They're not earned. Like They're not the, the product of you being more spiritual. The word charisma or gift refers to a gracious work of God or something bestowed by God. And he says that there are varieties of gifts, like what spiritual gift do you have? And there are varieties of service, like how are you serving the church right now? And that there are varieties of activities. How is the Holy Spirit working in and through you right now? Like what Paul says is that the Holy Spirit energizes and activates the work of believers when they use their spiritual gifts to serve others for the glory of God. And he says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Just this verse kind of blows my mind because Paul calls your spiritual gifts, like the ones that you have, my spiritual gifts, he calls them a manifestation of the Spirit. Like, to, for something to be manifest means that it's making something evident or obvious or visible. In other words, the Holy Spirit Himself is manifested, is put on display in some tangible and clear way when the gifts of the Spirit are exercised in the church. Like, you want to see the power of the Holy Spirit? Sign up and serve. Volunteer. Like you want to see the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life and in the church? Give your life away and you will see it. You see, spiritual gifts are designed to draw our attention to the power and the presence of God and knowing your gift pleases God. So what are your gifts? Like, what spiritual gifts have you been given? It says, to each is given, so every believer is gifted. And then Paul goes on for the rest of the the chapter to kind of drive home this message that no one has everything, but everyone has something. Like, no one has every gift. If you ever hear a teacher or a preacher or somebody with a like exalted title, like prophet or apostle, get up in front of you and say, I have all the gifts. Paul didn't have all the gifts. Like no one has all the gifts. But everyone who's a believer has something. Like a gift that God has given them for the good of others, for the service of the church, for the exaltation of Jesus. And the best way to determine what your spiritual gift is is through using them to serve others. Once again, do you want to know what your gift is? Sign up and serve. Give your life away. Volunteer. Like if you've been a believer for two or three or five or ten years and you've never served in a local church, like you can take every spiritual gifts test you want and you're not going to get an accurate view of what your gifts are because you're not using them. They show up. In service, and they're honed in service. They get better. They get stronger in service to others. And that means if you're new, especially to to church, that means coming and kind of with your hands open, asking, what do you want me to do? Like, where is the need? How can I help? Now, along with that, you can go to spiritualgiftstest.com. Like I've been looking over these all this week, taking a bunch of different spiritual gifts tests, and this is the best one i found. You can sign up, you have to register, but it's no cost or anything like that. I would encourage you all to take your spiritual gifts gifts test uh, this week, probably not during the sermon, but this week, maybe today, that would be good. and uh, And you'll see what your top three are, but it's like a really detailed list and about 65 questions. But once again, if you're not serving and if you've never served, you will probably be a three on everything. A three is uh, neither strongly agree or strongly disagree. You're just kind of stuck in the middle because you just don't know. The way you know is by serving. Verse 8, "...for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom." And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the same, by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So, in the same way that, uh, Every member of an orchestra plays a specific instrument. Every member of the church has been given specific gifts that manifest the presence of the Spirit of God when the church gathers, either like this or in a small group or in any other setting. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what Paul is about to start communicating here and he's trying to get their attention is you need to understand that your spiritual gift is not an indication of your spiritual maturity. Like just because you have a great gift doesn't mean you're great. All right. Like God doesn't give gifts to people who are great. He gives them to sinners. And so your gifting is not an indication of your spiritual maturity. It's an indication of the Spirit's sovereignty because the Holy Spirit determines who receives which gifts. He distributes them as He wills. Like he individually distributes the gift according to his plan and his pleasure. Like he selects our gifts for us personally. Like it's not like a holy bingo game where he's just kind of turning the thing and you're in line and you get whatever comes up. Like specifically for you, God has gifted you with at least one gift to serve the body of Christ and to bring glory to him. And using your gifts to serve others benefits everyone. Remember, Paul says that they were given for the common good. Like they were given to bring us together. They were given to create unity. In fact, everything that God has done in your life up to this point is for a purpose, whether you believe it or not. Like there is a day when we get into his presence when we'll see how all things really did work together for good for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But we can understand that belief now and hold to it. Like God has shaped you uniquely for ministry. Like on your outline on the backside, it asks the question, what is the unique shape that God has given you for service? And by shape, we we mean spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. Like, you are uniquely you, and God has gifted you with spiritual gifts. He has shaped your heart and your personality. He has given you talents and abilities, and he has brought you through experiences in life, and you should not waste them. Like, a few years ago, uh, Pastor John Piper uh, got uh, cancer, and uh, as he is known to do, he wrote a book about it, like... (laughs) Piper writes a book about everything, and so he wrote a little book that's excellent called Don't Waste Your Cancer. What he was saying was, listen, these things happen. They happen to believers and they happen to non-believers. but God has a purpose in my cancer, and I don't want it to go to waste. Like it is achieving for me something. It's not wasted by God. It is achieving for me like an eternal weight of glory. But I don't want to waste this hardship, this side of heaven. Like I want to learn what God has me to learn through this. I want it to like mobilize me and prepare me better for ministry. Whatever it takes, I want that. And so I would say, guys, don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your struggle, whatever that struggle is. Don't waste your failures, whatever they have been. Like, Don't waste your history, whatever God has brought you through. Don't waste that. Don't waste your greatest mistake, your biggest wound. There are people in this church who need to hear from you, who you will have a higher level of credibility than I would to speak to their heart and to speak to that issue because God has preserved you through that. And giving you forgiveness and grace at the end of it. Let God turn your misery into ministry. Paul wants us to understand, listen, our gifts, these gifts we've been given, (laughs) they're not ours, right? God gave you some gifts, but they're not yours. Like they belong to the church. They belong to Him. They're a stewardship. And so have you seen God use you and use your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your passions, your experiences for the benefit of others? In your notes, you'll see a list that's not exhaustive, but just a list of four categories of spiritual gifts. There are 19 gifts that we can find in the New Testament. That list is not exhaustive. There are more than that. It's just the list that we have. I encourage you to take that test and figure out what yours are today. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul's point here and in the next few verses is that just as the Trinity is a picture of diversity within unity, the church is supposed to reflect the same diversity within unity through the use of the spiritual gifts. As theologian Thomas Schreiner puts it, the body of Christ is not monochromatic. We don't all look the same. We don't all have the same experiences, the same gifting, right? The same heart, the same attitude, the same anything, but we are united around Christ and people see the evidence of that when we use our gifts to build up the body of Christ. But here's the problem. There were many in the Corinthian church... (laughs) And in the church today, in this church too, who feel like they are unimportant or that their gift is unimpressive. Like they hear a message like this and they think, well, what do I have to offer? Like, what do I have to offer the church in Corinth? What do I have to offer, you know, Hutto Bible Church? People in my small group. And so Paul writes, verse 14, for the body... Does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Like if my hand just says, Hey, I'm out of here. How far is it going to (laughs) go? Right? Like that's it. And Paul is making the same kind of ridiculous statement here. Like your body is made up of many parts. None of them get to split up and do their own thing. It doesn't work that way. Like you matter. Your gifting matters. And if you think, what do I have to offer? Whose words are you repeating? Do you think that's the voice of the Spirit of God? Yeah, you don't need to volunteer. You're good. You don't have anything to offer. They're full on you. Is that the spirit of God? It's a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. That's the voice of the enemy. No one should dismiss their own gift. Paul goes on to say, God arranged the members of the body, verse 18. Each one of them as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If the body was made up of hands, that would be one freaky body. Right? If all we had was preachers, if all we had with ushers, no one would ever sit down. Right? Be satisfied with your gifts, honors the giver. Like when I give my kids a gift, I love to see their face. I like that's my my uh Love language is gift giving. And I love to give gifts. And I love the response of somebody when they get a gift. Can you imagine the Spirit of God giving this custom package, tailored gift just to you? And you're like, that's it? And you just kind of push it behind you. So take the test, the spiritual gifts test. Thank God for what you have and get busy because each gift is equally valuable but there was another problem in the Corinthian church and I'll close with this some of the people in the church were creating this other problem this first problem because they were thinking like my gifts are superior like no wonder he feels bad about his gifts have you seen me in action right my gifts are superior and as a, as a result I'm kind of a super saint And so Paul writes to them the continuation of the same crazy, ridiculous illustration. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Like, I mean, just look at your own body. If I'm up here preaching on a Sunday and I'm moving my hands about and I hit it on this table and somehow my pinky falls off, starts shooting blood everywhere, I'm not going to look at it and say... Stupid pinky, right? It's the least usable finger, am I right? I mean, who needs a pinky? Gloves would fit much better if you only had four of these bad boys, right? And I would just kind of go on with my sermon. Who cares about that thing? No, I would be rolling in the floor, crying. I'd, You know, it would, it would be embarrassing, humiliating. People would be grabbing my finger. I'd be like, get me out of here. Some words would come out of my mouth. I probably shouldn't say in a sermon. It would be bad. Like Or if I'm, if I'm up here and my appendix bursts, I'm not going to say, stupid appendix. What does it even do? I know a lot of people who don't even have one, and they're great, right? It's just a way to lose weight, get rid of that thing. No, I want mine working. I have two kidneys, and you're not getting one, okay? I want all the parts that I came with. Paul's making that point here. No one should dismiss the gifts of others. That's our physical body in the church. No one should make less of the gifts that God has given to the church. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? That there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice Together. Here's the tragic irony of this passage. Paul says that spiritual gifts were actually given to the church for the purpose of bringing unity. Because when you see the illustration of the body, we all recognize, I need that hand. I need all of these fingers. I need my head or else my neck just looks stupid, right? I need this. And I need this, like God gave the spiritual gifts to the church to bring unity to it. And the tragic irony of the church of Corinth is that they were using the thing that was given for unity to bring disunity by bragging and comparing and one-upping each other. And so Paul's point is honoring the gifts of others builds up the whole body What would we do without our children's ministry workers back there? Rocking your babies and praying for you as you hear the word preached. What would we do without our student ministry workers who are investing in our kids, often at an age where they stop listening to mom and dad and they need a mature believer who will speak the truth to them? What would we do without our ushers and our greeters and our counters and the admins and our facility team? What would we do? Like The church needs all of us. You know, I think... uh an example of how our arrogance shows up is just in the whole topic of spiritual gifts. I think often, but not always, but often we love talking about spiritual gifts because we love talking about ourselves, don't we? If you're in a small group and you're meeting this week, you're going to have a great discussion all about spiritual gifts because we love to talk about ourselves. I mean, that's just the reality of it, but the Corinthian added that Corinthian attitude completely misses the point Paul is making here. His point is, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Guys, when you come together, when you serve one another, when you love one another, when you use your gifts for the service of others and the glory of God, guess what the world sees? They see Jesus. They see the body of Christ the visible picture of Christ in this earth. And how you treat the church is how you treat Jesus. So you matter to God, your gifts matter to God, and so do the gifts of those around you. Let me close with this. A.W. Tozer wrote years ago, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. In the same way, 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, or in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscience and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to the table of communion, we want to turn our eyes to you. Recognize that because you won that victory on the cross, you came bearing gifts for your church. And Lord, we want to receive everything you have for us as a church, everything you have for us individually. Lord, we want the world to look on and see you because of how we live with each other, how we love one another. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Like I said in the message, how you treat the the church is how you treat Jesus. There was Paul on the road to Damascus where... uh, heading to persecute the church while he was still Saul of Tarsus. And this Pharisee was knocked to the ground and heard a voice from heaven. And that voice, the voice of Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Jesus was in heaven. So how was Paul persecuting him? Because he was persecuting the church an offense against the church is an offense against me persecution of the church is persecution of me why are you persecuting me guys our unity is so important and this table reminds us of the significance of that jesus said if you're coming to the altar to make a sacrifice and you realize your brother has something against you go first be reconciled to your brother try to make things right if possible And then come and make your offering. And I would say this morning, as we stand, as the band's just going to play some instrumental music and let you come and get the elements, if you know that there is somebody that you need to get things right with in this body, I would encourage you. When everybody else stands and makes their way up, won't you make your way out? Make phone call. Sit down with that person. If there's forgiveness to be asked for, ask it if you haven't already done that. And then come and this table will be here for you. Let's stand together. And come and get your elements. In Ephesians, Paul uh, says that... uh, Christ gave apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists to equip the saints for the works of service until the body of Christ is built up. In the context of that passage, he gives the image of this victorious, like king, this victor who comes in his victory in that parade bearing the spoils of his victory. And there's all these gifts that he brings and he gives those gifted people to make up the body of Christ so that we can all be complete. You are gifted by the Spirit because his body was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Him. You have been shaped for service. Whatever you've gone through, whatever hardship or heartache, whatever loss, whatever sin you've given yourself to and that God has delivered you from and is delivering you from has been covered by the blood of Christ, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in Got to speak to y'all in a couple weeks, and so I uh, haven't been able to speak to you since uh, the Supreme Court decision on uh, June 24th, the Supreme Court uh, ruled uh, and overturned Roe versus Wade, and uh, guys, which is a huge victory for life, and I know that this is a uh, very personal and emotional issue for people, but uh, I just want you to know that... Uh, we should never apologize for standing up for the, for the life of the unborn. Um, it's a time for compassion, uh, but it's also a time to be brave. Like we need to double our efforts to uh, serve women in our state and in our community who are experiencing pregnancy as a crisis. Uh, We also need to be quick to provide care and grace for those who are like under a tidal wave of guilt for a choice to end the life of a child. And the only solution to that is the gospel. And So guys, if you've ever had the thought of I ought to be a foster parent, maybe I should adopt, (laughs) you know, maybe I should support a crisis pregnancy center or uh maybe maybe i should support this one gal who is experiencing pregnancy and she didn't have a husband if you ever thought those things now's the time to do that that's what the church should be doing in this moment as we uh pray for our nation and pray for our state i don't know if you know this that since the uh signing of the texas heartbeat act uh About 100 babies per day have been saved in our state. 100 babies per day that would have been killed. And though this is an emotional issue, it should be rescue those who are being led away to slaughter. Speak on their behalf. Let's pray. God, we do pray. Uh, for our nation, for its leaders. where we pray for our church that we would be uh, wise and loving, that instead of just seeing this as we did it, that we would see this as your victory and our opportunity to step into the gap where the enemy was offering a solution that was terminal. Lord, we're offering the gospel. The only answer to the guilt of abortion is the gospel. The only answer to the fear and the concerns of having a baby with no one to support is the church. Lord, let's be the church. Lord, give us power. Give us the resources we need, the wisdom we need to lead in this area in our city, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to be down front if anyone needs to talk or anybody needs somebody to pray with them. God bless you.